0: Hello, and welcome to our live taping of KHN's What the Health. I'm your host, Julie Rodner, Chief Washington Correspondent at Kaiser Health News. I'm joined by some of the best and smartest health reporters in Washington. We're here to bring you the latest in news about health policy from the White House, Capitol Hill, federal agencies, and the states. For those of you who are not here in our live audience, we're taping on Thursday, January 31st at 1 p.m. As with all news in Washington, things can change fast, and things might have changed by the time you hear this. So, here we go. Today we are joined by Joanne Cannon of Politico. Hello, everybody. Anna Edney of Bloomberg News. Hello. And Kimberly Leonard of the Washington Examiner. Good afternoon. And welcome, too, to our video partners from Newsy. You can watch an edited version of our podcast every week on Sunday at 11 a.m. Also joining us today is our special guest, Tom Miller of the American Enterprise Institute, for those of you who don't already know Tom, he's a conservative health policy expert. A no reason con- to
1: engage in name calling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a former congressional staffer and a prolific writer, including his takedown of the ACA called Why Obamacare Is Wrong for America. Welcome, Tom. Thank
1: you for joining us. Thank you. Don't get used to it. <laughs>
0: So I want to make this a true look ahead at what might happen or at least what's likely to get debated in health policy for the rest of 2019 now that the shutdown is temporarily over. Uh, Let's start as we so often do with the Affordable Care Act. This week, we saw our first hearing in the newly Democratic House on pre-existing condition protections. I watched most of it. There were a lot of Republicans who seemed very defensive about saying, yes, we do support protections. Um, So what's next for the ACA? Tom, you are our guest, and I understand you have some thoughts about that Texas lawsuit.
1: Sure, we can work that in as well, which is driving the taunting over, uh, so you want to get rid of this, what are you going to do in place of it, et cetera. Actually, I had a call this morning from a staffer on another committee that's having a hearing. Uh, House or Senate? Uh, House in this one. Republicans are in a bit of retreat. They usually have a retreat early in the year. Apparently, they're doing an all-year retreat on health policy. <laughs> um There were a lot of, uh, I like to call them uh, hostage tapes uh, made by uh, candidates, uh, either running for re-election and not necessarily succeeding, or uh, one-time candidates uh, on the Republican side, and having run aground in their efforts in 2017 to repeal and do something, uh, and not really finding a way to communicate the message, they're a little adrift. So they don't want to say, Yes, we're going to do exactly what you've already said we were against and now we're for, but they don't have some other place to go. There are different elements that could put that together, but first they have to understand what they're in favor of and how they make trade-offs and how they actually spend some money in one place and don't spend it in another place. So that's basically the problem. I can diagnose, I can explain, but I can't prescribe because it's a pre-existing condition.
0: (laughs) Are the Republicans planning on trying to put something together while they're
2: sort of out of power? I
1: think they really want to be standing aside and uh, finesse it as long as they can without being planted in the ground. I'd say the most popular move on the Republican side is to imagine there'll be magic money, a bit of a multiplier effect from reinsurance and variations of invisible risk pools. That certainly worked to some extent in some waivers we've seen in different states, and the idea is that that gusher can continue on indefinitely. Now, the reason it worked in the early going is things were so distorted with pricing in the ACA exchange markets that you could do anything semi-different and bring the prices down. But in the later stages, unless you put more money in in some vehicle or another to actually pay for care of people, you're not bringing the premiums down anymore. So it's either external funding or the same boat you're in. But that's the, the resting place with which they're most comfortable. I've suggested they have some other responses which is the size of the problem is vastly exaggerated if you actually look at the data they have to understand that then you have to say who you're going to subsidize and why you're going to subsidize them in what manner they couldn't quite get there they put some amounts in the 2017 legislation. It wasn't enough. It wasn't structured properly. And imagining that the states will do it miraculously on their own means they'll look aside and won't be anything there. So there are solutions to a small problem done effectively. Thus far, it's escaped most of the uh, would-be policymakers on the Republican side as to how to explain that in a manner which is credible. It makes sense. It's built off the continuous coverage uh, model of HIPPA to some degree, but you also have to plug the extra holes.
0: So panelist guys, you've, uh, or gals, I guess, Um, you all have been, we've been talking about this for for some time. Do you see anything on the sort of ACA front, or are the Democrats jumping right ahead to to other things they might want to do on health care, sort of make statements? My favorite
3: little tidbit related to what Tom started with, Um, we reported this week, you know, Texas, as you all know, is one of the leaders of the lawsuit against the ACA that has, they won the first round, and, and they have absolutely no plan in the state of Texas to what they, they have
1: one plan, if at first you don't secede, try <laughs> try again well, here's
3: Here's my favorite part about their non existent plan. Um, if in fact, the ACA would be completely tossed, which is what they're asking for, which is not what most people expect to happen at the end of the day, but who knows um, they want it has been suggested that they use a thirteen thirty two waiver to come up with a substitute. Well, the problem with that is there will be no 1332 waivers because they're part of Obamacare and they won't exist. So that was my favorite healthcare factoid from the state of Texas this week.
1: Assume a ladder.
3: <laughs> right, Or a can opener. Yeah. Right.
0: Last year, obviously, there were There were some bipartisan ACA fix bills, as Tom mentioned, reinsurance, putting back the cost-sharing reductions. They were uh, felled, uh, if you will, by fights over abortion. Do you see any possibility of any of those coming back? I heard some sort of grumblings about, you know, maybe we should do something to fix the exchanges, um, or would would the same thing happen? About as
1: much chance as a live armadillo in the middle of the road. (laughs) <laughs> which tends to get run over, not only in Texas. Uh, it's, it works very well in editorial pages and various thumb-sucking you know, middle-of-the-road caucuses. But when you get into a polarized environment, and we still have our own polar vortex on Capitol Hill, which goes all the way into the summer, uh, ultimately, it splinters apart. This year is not about legislating. It's about talking endlessly, pointing fingers, deflecting things, moving them around. And it's a, it's a good talk fest. And but it's also a, we're
3: already in 2020. So, I mean, I think what the, the Democrats are already trying to figure out, you know, Medicare for all, Medicare for more, Medicare for every other blonde person, who, you know, whoever, whatever they figure out it means, um, it is they're, they're, they're the Democratic divisions, and as they struggle with what is short-term what is aspirational how do we define it? Or how do we get there those are democratic debates that we're already seeing quite vividly even by some people who you know the four or five who are not running for president but that just creates an opening i mean the republicans it's they've already started i mean they were running campaign ads last before november against socialized medicine government takeovers including against moderates who are not moderate democrats who are not on any of these bills so i think the dialogue you know, can they do, uh, you know, earlier I thought maybe they could have done some little patchwork of the exchanges, but I think it's less likely because they are using waivers. States are able to address, CMS is allowing these waivers, they're working in five or six states, other states can get these waivers, you don't necessarily have to have this huge slugfest in Congress to address these stabilization issues if you're giving waivers in this particular narrow repair uh, of the exchanges. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think for the four of us up here who are journalists, I mean, the challenge is how do we tell this 2020 Medicare fight every day and sound like it's new and fresh starting in January 2019. And it's a happy place for
1: Republicans. Yeah. They want the debate to be about that. They want to say these Democrats are going to be as crazy as we were four years ago. And They'll never again. Th- that's there. the way. That, but that—that's the, <laughs> the beginning and end of the response.
0: When the other side is in a circular firing squad, stand back. Yeah.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Kimberly, yeah. give yeah, them some right. ammunition.
2: Yeah. In order to you know address some of the funding about the Affordable Care Act, Republicans and Democrats would still have to address this abortion question. You know, to what extent are they going to limit funds from being able to go toward uh, health insurance plans that also provide abortions? Um, so. In, it, they can't really table that because as far as the different interest groups go, they're so aligned with either Republicans and Democrats that there's really no middle ground for them to reach on this issue.
0: Which is, and of course, it was the abortion issue that almost prevented the ACA from becoming law in the first place, just because of Democrats versus Democrats. It wasn't even Republicans that that it was hard and are you are you are you unanimous? you don't see much happening on on coverage this year no i don't I don't see much happening
4: on <laughs> coverage. I
3: think some of the states will play for th- will play for things I mean I think there are a lot of a lot of discussion in the states. Some of the states may actually get from the discussion to the action um you know, there, there, are, there are a number of Democratic ideas uh, in a lot of different states. The Medicaid buy-in, you know, whether it's going to happen, I don't know. Whether you're going to hear about it, yeah, you already are. There's Medicaid buy-in discussions in a few states. There's public option uh, discussions in a couple of states. A few states have already passed an individual mandate. Others could. I don't think many will, but we could see a few more. A few states are talking about different kinds of subsidies. Um, um, California's talking about covering the undocumented. Um, so, so could you see things in in states that would um, lead toward greater coverage or some kind of a strengthening or shoring up or expansion of the ACA? You could see that. Um, I would imagine we will actually see some of these things happen. I don't think we'll see, you know, if all of them happen. I, th- I think there will be a few states that take step forward.
0: Do you think that any of the states are going to put back mandates? I mean, there was some muttering California, about that.
3: Uh, four have. Is it yeah. four? Am I correct? It's four, it four? Yeah. Um, and California's talking about it. I don't think it's, I, I can't think of an obvious state where they haven't done it that they're going to.
0: Except
2: for California.
3: Mm-hmm. Maybe. They didn't yeah. do it last year. Well, I mean, California. Blamed, California, yeah,
2: California blamed the um, shortfall in their um, new enrollees this year on the lack of the individual mandate. But if you look at, for example, New Jersey's data, I believe that they had lower enrollment and they've already reinstituted the individual mandate. So at some point, some of the other things that California is looking to address, like adding more subsidies to people um, so that they can afford a lot more health insurance plans, might do a little bit more to move up some of those numbers.
0: So we will say, all right, well, I want to talk briefly about Medicare for all because that's what everybody's talking about this week. Um, next Senator. week? Do you think <laughs> it's
3: going to change next week?
0: No. I'm just saying that Senator Kamala Harris oh, no, declared. this week, her- we're
3: actually talking about the weather. Next week, right. we're going to go back and talk about.
0: Senator Harris declared her candidacy for president and seemed to shock some people by saying that, yes, she does want to eliminate the private insurance industry, um, which is what Medicare for All purists have been saying for, I think, decades, not just the last few years. Um, How are the battle lines shaping up? I guess I'm still sort of getting over the shock that People uh, d- did not know that that was part of Medicare for All, um, although we have seen, and I think we talked about this last week, uh, we have definitely seen that the public has very different feelings. They, you ask them what they think about Medicare for All, and they like it, and then you tell them what Price it might generally them. mean, and they're like, oh, well, that's not really what we thought. So where are we in the every, Medicare for All every debate Every time, time I week?
2: report on the Medicare for All Act, um, I include a section about how it would abolish private insurance, and I get so many messages on Twitter about how I'm wrong, and I don't understand the the bill, as if I haven't read it, which I have, um, but there is a lot of misunderstanding about it. Um, well, of course, there's a lot of variations, too. And, well, and what's interesting, though, is for those who are really big proponents of, of the Medicare for All Act, um, you know, just even outside advocates, they would say, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> what's the big deal? We have a lot of inefficiencies in our system. People aren't getting access to care, et cetera. So a lot of a lot of folks are pretty unapologetic that this is what would occur. Um, the question then is probably going to be for Democrats, how do you know, get um, the public on board, that this is something that they would also want to see happen.
4: Well, I think you also saw Senator Harris walk back her comments a little bit um, when her spokesman came out and said that well, she also would support, and she has supported, um, an idea of opening up Medicare for more people. It wouldn't have to take away insurance, and you know, be for everybody. And I think that that is the, that's the battle lines you were talking about, and where we're going to see people um, start to fall. And I and we've reported that kind of at Bloomberg that the idea um, of starting, you know, of talking about the fact that everyone's insurance could go away is. The extreme left position so when you actually take it to congress when you might have hearings or um, things like that it, it gives a uh, moderate democrats something to support in the medicare
0: and look, know, okay. and look more moderate. Buy-in
4: and look more moderate. This is the
0: Overton window that, I, that they, The other thing I've learned a lot about in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. That if you, if you, if you take your starting bid way out, then you come back to the middle, and what seemed very radical before, it doesn't seem very radical. Is and that also, the art of the deal?
3: <laughs> and also, and what Anna's talking about is that, that that's opening the current Medicare system to more people. Whether you do it on an age basis or there, there are a number of ways as a policy. You know, it's usually talked about as a buy-in for a 50 and up or 54 and up or what, you know, some variant of that. That's the, the most common. There, there are infinite variations. So that's the most common one. But th- when you're talking about Medicare for more, you are talking about Medicare that we all know. When you're talking about Medicare for everybody, Medicare for all, that's what I mean about one of the problems with what's the language and the semantics and nobody agrees on what the wording is. It's not that we take the current Medicare system as it currently exists and just cover every American with it. I mean, if you look at the Bernie Sanders bill, which is sort of the the Uber bill of of this, it's a different system which would still be called Medicare, but it's not just taking what, it is not necessarily, since there are people, I mean, that's what I mean, It, it could be or could not be, it is not necessarily taking the current Medicare system that was started in 1965, which you all know about, and your grandmothers are on, et cetera, and just saying, well, we're all gonna be on that. It could be a whole new thing and well, no, we've also
4: would- seen legislation for a Medicaid buy-in, so right. yeah. in some
3: states, yeah, Nevada, New Mexico, Nevada's talked about. It, I think one other,
4: and Brian Chats of Hawaii,
3: mm-hmm. who has as a
0: as
1: long as med- Medicare for all can be whatever someone wants to define it as, it'll pull very well. The problem is that it becomes a nearer term possibility. You run up against the three or four standard stumbling blocks. The easiest one is anything that's disruptive is usually a dead end in health policy, which is why we have so much trouble changing beyond the status quo. We criticize. We have a critical majority. Majority is critical of the health system until you have to do something else. Then they're opposed to that as well. Then you've got the sticker shock. It doesn't matter whether you think in the long run you're saving money. It's just too much big dollars running through the budget and tax side of government. People freak out at that. can't happen in that manner. Then you get into the vested interest and the people saying, I'm not going to do as well under this system as the current one, so I'm going to fight this. All those make it non-starters. Now you can have Medicare for a few more people and probably have Medicaid for more people, but then those things all break down in terms of the implementation because what's promised and what's delivered ends up very different. Do you actually charge the real price? Of course not. People want some other subsidies. We all want a deal better than someone else, and then the Medicare deal looks like it begins to erode what the current old folks have, and they get upset about it. So you run into these countervailing forces, which are pretty powerful, which is why we get the same type of mediocre healthcare system we complain about because we can't move to something else. We make marginal changes.
0: Would the Republicans ever get behind, like, a Medicare for more or a Medicare for some more?
1: If it was Medicare Advantage yes. for upper-income Republicans, they'd be in favor of that. <laughs>
4: Well, and I think Tom makes a really good point about um, people complaining when you know when there's actual policy, and you know, and possibly having to make trade-offs to get kind of coverage for everyone. You know, it's not something that's as simple as everyone getting a gold-plated plan. There might have to be these ideas, and this has come up in drug pricing too, that not everyone can get everything if that's what we do. Um, And certainly, I think the, uh, and Kimberly reported on this a little bit, that the um, entire industry, whether it's the, you know, pharmaceutical industry or health insurers, um, have been using that as an argument to to fight against Medicare for all as well. And they've been
2: joining with hospitals and doctors, and so that's what, that's how they kind of, you know, they fought this at the state level too, where they kind of create these patient coalitions where they essentially, um, you know, warn the public if this were to pass, then people will die. And that's the kind of advertising that they put out, and that's the kind of message that they're trying to get out, that if there's more government involvement in healthcare and they're getting lower rates, that public, that the public will suffer and um, that you we'll know, have long waits for care and things like that. And they're, they're gearing up for this fight. They're also gearing up against um, a potential buy-in. But it may come down to either a buy-in or going even further than that. So it might be more of a compromise. We'll see.
3: Right. The, the doctors, I would say, were split. But the other, um, I think, in terms of the professional interest groups, they're allied against um, um, most of these Medicare for all var- uh, variants going around. I think actual physicians. Is a, a, a more of a mixed yeah situation. yeah
2: individuals for sure, but yeah, I'm talking California. about the interest groups right. that you know represent you know large. a lot of people right. and okay. that they're also
3: forming,
0: and have a lot of money to advertise
2: and they're forming
3: exactly. coalitions together. They're not fighting each other about 340Bs, right? I mean they are, right. but they're also <laughs> on this issue. It's a unified we've, we you know I think most of us have you know gotten the calls right. So unified early block of industry oppositions. Anything remotely resembling Medicare for all. But at the same time, people are really dissatisfied with the system. So I think what we're all sort of saying, without, you know, I think what's if you look at sort of history of healthcare and public opinion, we really want change as long as there's no change.
0: <laughs> real, well, we really want change we as want long change. as we're winners. We want well, everyone's in favor of as it change, they think anything. they're the ones
1: coming right. out ahead. Exactly. Right. Right. And if you can fool enough people, most of the time, you might pass a bill
0: that's I think that's exactly true all right well let's move on to the thing that might Possibly happen this year, and that's drug prices um, because it's what everybody's talking about. Anna, you had sort of an Im- uh, an amazing uh, series this week that uh, that that ran. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found because this seems to be the one place that everybody agrees is that we should speed generic drugs to market because that'll help bring down drug prices. But there's a dark side.
4: Yeah, there's um, so I did this. I did a year long investigation um, and looked over uh, you know hundreds of pages of documents that I got um, from the FDA through public records requests and court depositions talked to you know dozens of um, inspectors at the FDA and as well as um, you know people who um, work used to work at the FDA things like that and found that when it comes to generic drugs um, some of the issues with manufacturing are kind of, Causing concern whether the data that they use to prove those drugs are safe and effective is actually correct, um, and and uh, you know whether they're they're possibly hiding some failures of these drugs to meet U.S. standards, and so. Um, at the same time, the FDA is pushing more more of these to market. They're having manufacturing issues and the FDA is decreasing the number of surveillance inspections that they do of generic drug manufacturers um, So I talked to a lot of people who were concerned about that. Um, when they do these inspections, they look over their data. It's not just to go and look and see if things are clean or um, you know they're using proper hand washing techniques, it's also to go over all the data of the quality checks that these companies do and when they're doing quality checks, um, they're looking for the active ingredient, make sure there's enough, they're looking to see whether the drug dissolves correctly um, so that that's how you know, it affects our absorption of the pill and there were many instances where companies were getting failures of those quality checks They were um, basically omitting that from the official record, retesting until they could get a, a passing score and then sending them on to us.
1: And even when the system works, it can still catch you. I had my blood pressure rise because I was checking whether my generic prescription had carcinogens in them. Then I grilled a hamburger and said, "I got the same health risk yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's actually true that's That's what the carcinogen is in the, in all the blood pressure drugs that have been uh, that have been recalled. but i mean it's it's you know I wonder if sort of this push to to push down drug prices is going to sort of run into this push about maybe we should look you know, more closely at how the FDA regulates all of these drugs. I mean, you know, the argument against drug importation, which is one of the more popular, you know, ideas for bringing down drug prices, let's just buy our drugs from Canada, um, is that, well, we have this closed, very safe drug system. You don't, don't want to threaten that, only to discover that maybe our closed drug system isn't as safe as we thought it was.
4: Right, and I I had, um, you know, Congress people from both sides of the aisle on the House Energy and Commerce Committee that I quoted in my articles. It's a four-part series. Um, We called it the high high cost of cheap pills. Um, And they, the Congress people mentioned that they would like to know more about this. They'll be asking the FDA, you know, to give them more information, to brief them on this, um, and to to try and give them an idea of, of what's going on beyond what I could even find.
0: So what do we think is going to happen on drug prices this year?
4: We're looking at actual legislation? Um. I think it will. I think there's a possibility, like you said, of this being the one place where something could happen. Um, I went to the House hearing this week in oversight and reform on drug pricing And there was one the same day, about the same time in the Senate Finance Committee, but in the House one, it was really interesting because I walked in and they were already meeting and I was confused, and they were actually having their organizational meeting. So, you know, they hadn't even quite gotten the the committee together yet, um, and then they were holding this hearing, and so uh, I don't think they're, you know, they're they're quite sure what direction they're going to take, and so they wanted to come out early, and they wanted to talk about it, and they had some really compelling stories from people who lost their children um, because they were rationing insulin and things like that. And I don't think, I think they're going to focus on insulin. I think that's become very clear. Um, insulin costs have skyrocketed, and people are dying from that. And, um, but I, I think that we, I heard, Um, Jim Jordan, who's the ranking member on Oversight, who said, um, obviously, he doesn't want to, he's a Republican, he doesn't want to get into um, setting prices, Medicare negotiation. But he brought up patents and how that is an issue that he could see looking at. He called it an um, evergreen monopoly that the companies have been using because they, they have all these different ways of blocking generic drugs from coming to market or you know making sure that competition is lower um, so they can keep the same revenue essentially and so I think I wrote actually in 2017 when um, Secretary Azar was being confirmed when he had his hearing in in the Senate um, the patents was seem to emerge from those hearings as the one place that Congress might be able to agree and pass something. And yet- the
1: easiest thing to pass in end-of-year legislation, smuggled into other stuff, to say, look what we did, is to find the most egregious abuses, which are small, have a narrow solution to try to curb them till they think of another way to do it. And that will be considered a success on Capitol Hill.
3: I mean, there are a lot of political cross-currents because, I mean, <coughs> this is an odd situation where um, one of probably the only one I can think of, where the Democrats and President Trump are closer on some of these drug ideas than the president is to mo- most of the Republicans. But you also have Grassley, who's now back in charge of finance, who's who's very skeptical of the drug companies, always, you know, has been for years.
0: And much and a huge difference from in his hatch, predecessor, right. right. Or so, so, I
3: mean, I can see, thi- I can't see the entire 40-point wish list going through, but can I see some drug legislation, bipartisan drug legislation. Can, can I envision that as a possibility this year? Yes, I can. Can I envision, can I see areas of compromise that are, that are realistic? Yes. Am I certain it'll happen? No, because there's so much politics and this is a crazy town. I mean, crazier than it usually is, I mean, for the last few years. So they, do they decide this is a win-win? On opioids, they decided this is in the public interest and this is a win-win. They want to do it. Can we get to the point where drug prices becomes a public issue and a win-win up to a certain, not a radical change, but things that might make some differences? Yes, I can see that scenario, and I can also see, as I said, we're in 2020. We might even be in 2024. So, <laughs> um, you know, the politics get into the Democrats? want to work with Trump, just try, you know, I mean, there's so many things up in the air. The government's just been shut, right? I mean, we're not really even up and running again, and we could be shut again in three weeks and, you know, two weeks. Um, 2 weeks it, it, it's it, i i don't pretend to have a crystal ball so yes can i see stuff yes and the other one is a surprise bills. I mean, I We're getting, that's next. Right. That's, Let's that's let me, let me, let let, yeah, let me, like, right. really finish on drugs.
1: Part, just a quick <laughs> The most surprising part of all the hearings on Capitol Hill on the Senate side was Senator Wyden begging the drug makers to come and testify in order to lie to them, like the, the right. tobacco companies had. <laughs> Please, just at least lie on the record. Can you do that
0: for <laughs> us? <laughs> well, he was there. Senator Wyden was Congressman Wyden when, when the, the tobacco, tobacco yeah. executives yeah. came. Look Not,
2: what it did for them.
0: Yeah, well, it was quite a hearing, though. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Kimberly, you want to say something about drugs before we move on to surprise bills? I was going to tie it in with surprise medical bills, oh, okay. so we can go ahead and All right, well, then that. we'll go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so in terms
3: th- those the, of those – of the things at this point, we can see something happening – Something on drugs, maybe. Surprise bills, which Julie's going to make us talk about in a second. And there could be some more opioid action this year.
2: And I I can tell that President Trump is getting frustrated with some of the drug price hikes. I mean, he's tweeting about it a lot. He's calling in his top health officials. Um, It seems as though he's really pushing them to kind of, you know, deliver on these results. He seems to really want to, you know, hold uh, to, to see those, you know, prices go down. Although, to the surprise of many, President Trump
0: had an event last week on surprise medical bills, which for better or worse happened the same day that we had the little flap over the State of the Union where he said, I'm coming, and Nancy Pelosi said, no, you're not. So most people did not notice that. But in my inbox just today, uh, Senator Maggie Hassan, who's been active on this issue, is bringing as her guest for the State of the Union um, a woman who had a surprise medical bill. So clearly a very bipartisan issue. Um, We at Kaiser Health News and Sarah Cliff, our podcast mate at Vox, have been doing a lot of work on people who are getting enormous bills because they inadvertently got out of network care. Or unconsciously. I mean, yeah, or unconsciously got out of network care. Um, is this a place where, where, you know, lightning might strike and there might be a bipartisan bill that might actually take care of a lightning big problem? Lightning strikes. We'd all
3: have to the ER and we'd have surprise <laughs> medical bills. So you need a different metaphor. <laughs> yeah, try.
1: there's going to be legislation. Uh, it may be a thumbnail of what can be done. The hardest thing to agree on is what you do with it as opposed to we're all against it and we want to curb it. Because you've got a variety of possible prescriptions, some have been done already at the state level I would come from the direction of thinking about how you change the incentive structure so that anybody who tries to drop a surprise medical bill ends up in a worse place in terms of what they can collect. You can have default rules, whether you go all the way back to common law or whether you go to some other type of proxy, we'll pay this much, unless you declare what your prices are up front. And if you don't do it, then that's the world you're in. You can go all the way down to paying Medicaid prices. Those are better action forcing mechanisms. The only drawback I'd say in all this is. We should have a little bit of a positive incentive to be insured and be in network. Yeah, but these and are if you get I was exactly a- the same price by showing up blind and unknown, then you're undermining some other considerations in how you want the health.
0: But these are people more. who are insured. In fact, Sarah's um well, you've uh, got the story. problem in
1: terms of out of network, right. also you've got pricing rules, whether it's on site or in uh, there are certain types of doctors, these are the emergency room docs and certain types of specialists who they're not going to be in network and they don't bring business in to the network plan, so they don't want them in the network. So there's a lot of other competing economics behind why we end up the way we have. If you had more site-neutral payment, you might erode some of the incentive for having these extra people coming in ad hoc and, and charging higher prices. But I would say we, we
0: ended up in the, in the odd situation of the public uh, major trauma center and public hospital in San Francisco not taking any private insurance. So it didn't right. matter whether you're
1: Insured or
3: not, you're not slot, in
1: network. They should have slot machines at the billing department. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the other thing is, if, if, if there's a consensus that this is just not fair and that it's bad yeah. for consumers and that it's bad optics, there's a consensus on that. There's not a consensus on any of those sort of more technical issues Tom talked yeah, about. Yeah. And there's not a, certainly not a consensus because those those same um, medical interests that, that Kimberly was right. talking about being, you know, tying arm in arm to fight single payer. They're not so arm in arm on this issue. They all want the other guy to pay. So, you know, the insurers don't want to eat the bills the and have their networks destroyed. The hospitals don't want to not be paid and get that money. The doctors don't want to get everybody wants this solved as long as they're not the ones who have no. to eat the cost. So is there political consensus on this? I think we all see it. Is there, I mean, the, the solutions can be quite technical. I mean, percentages of Medicare. They
1: could play the arbitration game, which is the way right. where each side is trying to guess who's more out of line.
3: Right, but the, the solutions, the, 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 the bipartisan goodwill is there. At least today, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, we 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 all see momentum on this. the The solution could get dragged down by the 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 food fight course, on the yeah. industry side
2: right? about how how you actually yeah. do it. Kimberly right, wants exactly. to say exactly. Well, toward the end of last year, when we saw the. Um, the stabilization bill for the Affordable Care Act fall apart, then the Senate Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee started holding hearings looking at this particular issue about dealing with health care costs, and a lot of it focused on these sort of surprise medical bills. Um, And it does seem like the turf war is going to be a problem, but it was interesting. I I caught up with Senator Lamar Alexander, who chairs the HELP Committee, um, last week, and it was funny, because he had all these notes about the shutdown that he was ready to talk about, and he kind of put them away, um, because he was then uh, ready to talk about surprise medical bills. Um, and he seems pretty enthusiastic about it. Um, a lot of members are. They seem like they, they hope that they can at least come to some sort of a bipartisan compromise. You know, from um, the perspective of conservatives, they see it as being a, a lack of transparency issue. Um, that, you know, someone who's administered something while they're not conscious or given a drug without any information about how much it might cost is not, you know, given the full scope of information they need to be, you know, a patient and a consumer of healthcare. care. Um, so you know, they are certainly fired up about it. I think that um, it was a surprise to us all that President Trump had, you know, a a White House meeting about it. And he hosted people who were talking about their situations and all that. And he kind of also tied it in, including some of someone from KHN's Bill of the Month series. I know, I know, I found the link, and I linked off to your story. (laughs) Um, So it so it does seem like they're fired up about it, but again, it comes down to who. Then, is at the very end of our interview, he said, "Well, someone's got to pay the bill." So he kind of does see that this is going to start, you know, coming up as, uh, you know, who's going to be who's going to be taking the brunt of the cost on this potentially.
0: All right, we're going to turn it over to the audience for questions in one second. But Joanne, first, you you started to say something about more opioid legislation. You think I that might seen be another anything bill?
3: specific on this? I mean, they they've done two big bills. They did CARA, and I believe it was late twenty sixteen, and then they did the. Uh, the, the large package of opioid bills in in um, October, I believe it was signed. Do, do, is this over? Obviously not. I mean, the other thing that you hear from some. F- both some experts and advocates and the states, uh, and that we've talked about briefly in, in previous podcasts is that this country does not just have an opioid problem, this country has an addiction problem, and a mental health problem, and a suicide problem, and, they are, um, and a fentanyl problem that's getting into other drugs, and a um, legal tranquilizer problem, and, and it, it, there's an addiction crisis. And so, did we target it? And Opioids being the one that's killing people every day. I mean, opioids had to be the first thing you go for. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, that it's like 115 people are dying a day. Something. It may have dropped a bit, but we're in that kind of number. Um, but did, did we solve it? We didn't solve it did we solve an aspect of it? We didn't even solve an aspect of it. So can, you know, some of the states are saying they need freedom to use this money for, you know, other kinds of uh, addiction problems. I, I, I think there will be more mental health slash addiction Legislation, whether it'll be this year, because it also takes a while for programs to get set up. Money was allocated, and the, the states then have to go through contracting and granting and figure out who gets it. And, and and then, frankly, we also don't know enough about what works. I mean, the scientists don't know enough about what works. Or if you, the best treatment, which is medicated assisted treatment, still has a 50 percent relapse rate. So you know, what is Congress's role in this? It might be to write more checks. Um, it might not be this year because they did put several billion. But, but I think anyone working in this field or, um, and, and huge numbers of Americans have been affected. Huge numbers of people in this room probably know people who've been affected. This is not over. Congress has proven it can be bipartisan on this. I don't see an immediate bill or an immediate step, but within, between now and the next two years, I, I think the, the issue could come back on a federal level. Maybe in a simple way, just more appropriations or rather than more policy, but... We're not over it. I don't think anybody on the planet thinks it's over.
0: Okay, we're gonna open it up to questions. There is a microphone in the back. Please wait for the microphone to get to you. Uh, Please tell us who you are when you ask your question, and please make it a question.
4: Um, I'm Lexi. I'm a student at George Washington University, and I just wanted to ask if you guys can comment on pharmacy benefit managers if you think they'll be reported on in 2019. Good so question. <laughs> I think it's a good question. Um, so. There is a, um, an administration proposal that none of us have seen yet um, to look at these anti-kickback laws that the pharmacy benefit managers basically benefit from and how they do their operations. Um, and just the other day, it was either yesterday or the day before, um, Deputy Secretary Hargan said that they are getting really close on that, that they've been working um, on it. He was um, it's at the Office of Management and Budget right now, meaning the White House is reviewing it. Um, so all we know is the the title essentially, which says you know to, that it looks like it could eliminate or reduce somehow the anti kickback statute. So I think that might actually it may not be Congress. Um, it may be the um, maybe the administration that's looking and, to actually. And go what out would that aid. do? I mean, if they. If so, <laughs> so the, it's a it's obviously a really confusing system on how we pay for our drugs, but um, the pharmacy benefit managers are the middlemen, and they so you know a drug maker. Will they'll, the drug will go from the drug maker through the distribution line um, before it gets to you? It will. A pharmacy benefit manager very well could have been been, been negotiating to get a lower price from for your employer or, or whoever is providing you your your insurance. Um, they do that not by just saying we'll pay you X. They do that by negotiating a rebate from the drug maker. Um, And those rebates are protected under this anti-kickback clause. And so if the administration was to eliminate that, you'd completely get rid of the rebate system and need to rework everything. Um, The administration has, you know, Secretary Azar has said that these rebates are part of what's keeping drug prices high. because the higher that a drug maker goes with their price, the better rebate that they get. So the PBMs are actually looking to a higher price drug um, because they make more money off it as well. If you wanted to
1: do it differently, which we don't do in Washington, you'd say the problem is the rebates are going in the wrong direction. It's all the distribution. Somebody's gaining under this system. It tends to be, the insurers or the plan sponsors who get the money to basically bring down the average premium cost, if they haven't pocketed it, which they do a little bit, to bring down the average price. For most people, these aren't the folks who are hitting the high out-of-pocket prices, who are chronically ill and have desperate states because there are a small number of people so you please everybody else and a few folks get hosed along the way. If you had a rebate system which worked in reverse, which would not please the insurers, would not please the PBMs or the drug makers, but would take care of the folks with the high out-of-pocket costs, you'd say strike the deal. What's the lowest price you can do between the PBM and the drug maker? And that's the price. Now, there's some conditions to that, getting that low cost. If the PBM doesn't deliver the market share, they have to pay the pharma manufacturer back with a higher amount of money. That's a world in which you actually lower the prices, you take care of people at out-of-pocket prices, but everyone else who has an interest stake in getting a check on this loses under the situation, which is why it won't go through.
2: Hi there. My name is Keyshawn Bott. I'm a grad student at Princeton. Uh, I'm wondering uh, about how you see the FDA's thinking on e-cigarettes changing after yesterday's uh, study uh, from Britain, uh, and then also the Hospital Competition Act um, that was introduced a few weeks ago, whether you see there's any uh, future to that or other legislation to combat provider consolidation.
4: I want to take that one so the um there was a study yesterday that was published in the new england journal of medicine that said e and that's what you're talking about right that said um e-cigarettes were helpful is, yeah. for people Effective, i think it was yeah we're for, for, right. we're, we're, well, we're more so effective, we're, more than, effective nicot- getting, than than nicotine substitutes right getting people to quit smoking and so um the uh, the commissioner, I think, at the FDA, he's been um, going after e-cigarettes when at first he had actually tried to Promote roll it? back a little yeah. bit the, some of the regulation on them um, because he didn't want to stifle an emerging industry that he thought could be really helpful, as the New England Journal showed. Um, for helping helping to quit adults, smoking. And this is adults to quit smoking. Um, and so he... He rolled it back a little bit. All of a sudden, kids are smoking more. Um, Who would have ever expected right. that to
1: happen? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, um, so he's he's come down a little bit harder, and and I think we'll see some regulation on e-cigarettes. I think he still holds that position, despite. The New England Journal um, article because he he did tweet about it he tweets a lot um, and so he, he the head it, of the FDA yes sorry got d- <laughs> Gottlieb leave um, tweets a lot and so he said about that study that he has held the belief that it would e-cigarettes will help adults quit smoking but he still thinks his priority is to get um, kids from you know to stop they're losing that more
1: on the next generation
3: than they're gaining on like, the what is what smoking. is the net benefit versus the net harm. And I think that that article yesterday added to that conversation. But anyone, I mean, the, the, the kid problem is huge.
1: The article didn't examine whether those specially flavored e-cigarettes would make you get off yeah, the record. And, and I ha- having not the read show. the
3: entire thing, I also don't know how, because there have been questions about it, and maybe Anna read more of it because I just read the first few powers, whether they're quitting for years or they're just quitting for a few months, because I don't know the answer to that. and. Um, if you're getting off something temporarily, it's not a solution. So I'm. I'm
4: well, and I, I was and I very
3: did. open, saying I didn't read it. I don't know, but I mean, I know that researchers have questioned: Is it a short-term are e-cigarettes getting you off to ba- off traditional cigarettes for the rest of your life or six weeks? And I'm ex- I'm a little being a little hyperbolic, but is it a solution or is it a short-term? thing that you do so and i don't know what the answer is when i mean you know and i think that's probably something that scott gottlieb is knows more than i do
4: well and the the study also did uh say that the um using the other types types of nicotine replacement therapies like the gum was um you know people stopped smoking and then they weren't smoking something else you know so they right
3: are, and they don't they're, they're not putting stuff in their lungs right exactly. right because there are other issues with these sex too
0: all right i think we have time for one more question up here in the front row. My name is Christine Divin
4: with JK Health Communications, and I'm interested in knowing how you get large employers invested in the health insurance discussion, like the Amazon, the Walmart. They seem to have an incredibly vested interest with so many but they seem to also be sitting on the sidelines. Well, Walmart well,
3: was really in the conversation. They sort of gave up and said somebody else try. They were very involved in that conversation, both in terms of the national conversation leading up to Obamacare, and also they had very, you know, internal, what were they going to do for their workers, and Amazon is... I
4: was going to say, I think Amazon's picked up the mantle, right. because you have Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway who are now um, Doing trying to combined and yeah, no one Relying to on a Gawande to figure
1: it all out, yes.
0: yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> which is not the worst plan.
3: <laughs> but It'll I mean, sound it sound
1: much better uh, than it actually is when he writes it,
3: <laughs> right? But I mean, what what business has done in the last few years is cost shift, right? I mean, that's they they. I think there was a point where where big businesses were more optimistic about their buying power and their ability to influence the healthcare system, and I think what happened is the they just started. Like they said, no, we can't fix it, and um, but we're going to have you know bigger copays, bigger out-of-pocket costs, bigger deductibles, and that's the trend we've seen.
4: Well, and in California, um, the governor, when he you know first took office um, earlier this year, said that they were going to do a program on um, on drugs where they're going to pull together to negotiate prices. So the government was going to do it, but they're also going to allow. Um, in- uh, employers to join in if they want to, so I think I'd, you know, I'd be interested to see how that actually plays out.
0: I will make a bold prediction. I think we're going to see more from employers this year. I think both as sort of the Medicare for all debate gets up and going, and I think that that um, the, the rate of increase in healthcare spending is picking up again, and I think employers are <laughs> You know, they may be sitting on the sidelines, but I think that kind of like the Republicans are trying to decide what it is that they would like to say.
3: But also, you know, a lot of people expected when the Affordable Care Act came online, a lot of people expected employers to cut coverage, to drop coverage that it's cheaper to pay those fines than it is to cover uh, to, to cover people. And employers are still committed to the idea of employer coverage. They still think it's good for their business and their workforce. And they still think they have more control than the government would have. I mean, they're not going to be crazy about single payer. Um, so I think the government, the, the the employer role in the debate will change as this national debate changes. They're they're still vested in the system, but I don't think they think they are the solution.
0: All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank our studio audience for coming in on this crazy cold day, although it's not as cold as the Midwest. Hopefully you had a good time. cold enough. (laughs) And if not, I think there's still some snacks outside. Uh, For you out there in podcast land, thank you for listening. Thanks to our guest, Tom Miller. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review. That helps other people find us too. If we didn't get to your question, you can always email us. We're at whatthehealth, all one word, at kff.com. Org, Or you can tweet me. I'm at Jay Rovner. I'm at Joanne Cannon. At Anna Edney. At Leonard KL.
1: And I've talk? sworn off Twitter.
0: <laughs> there you
4: go. <laughs>
0: we will be back in your feed next week. In the meantime, be healthy.